podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trey Strelko. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. Let's spend a few more minutes on the Louisville game and then turn the page. Uh, Women's soccer wrapping up at this hour. We go around the kingdom. We are answering your questions. Let's welcome in the Sons of UCF, Adam, and a very popular name this week. Hello, Mikey. (laughs) What's going on, guys? That was an awesome intro. I don't think I already knew that we recorded that with the Night Lorian. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I caught up with him after or uh, before the last uh, home game. He was uh, agreeable to doing that. He his popularity has just exploded, almost as popular as you, Adam and Mike. Yeah, uh, news to report: I am also day to day with some injuries after the Louisville game, so uh, we can discuss <laughs> that later if you guys want to. I've I've broken many things after that game. <laughs> the walking wounded from this team. UCF, of course, now 2-1, and one, the 42-35 loss. Uh, you guys took us through therapy on the uh, the podcast this week. Really, double blow, uh, not only losing the game in that dramatic fashion, but losing quarterback Dylan Gabriel, the broken clavicle, the news coming out on Sunday. I saw Dylan in the tunnel in Louisville, the arm in the sling. Uh, he looked, uh, you know, downtrodden, as you might expect, after uh, suffering that injury. Uh, a lot of what if for the rest of the season now, but Mikey Keene uh, getting the uh, the nod at the SOTG. Still in a few questions from uh, the Suns mailbag. Is anyone excited that this could mean having Dylan Gabriel for some big 12 snaps? And uh, at Gus UCF, uh, with COVID free plus uh, redshirt this year, is there technically a small chance that we might see him beat UF in Gainesville in 2024? Uh, or as we've heard, we may never see him throw for the Knights again. A lot of things up in the air now. Yeah, a myriad of options that really need to play out. And ultimately, a lot of this will, will land on two things. How Mikey Keene performs in his opportunity here to lead the Knights. Uh, and obviously, how Dylan recovers from the injury. I mean, you know, uh, we, we've heard people say this is a four to six week deal. Some people think this is a six to eight week deal. It's the left clavicle, if I have that right, which obviously is his throwing side, which makes it a little bit more challenging. Uh, Mike and I had Trey Nixon on the program a little bit ago this year, and obviously Trey suffered a very similar injury, and and he even told us it it took a long time for him to feel normal and feel right. So there's a lot of different hurdles that have to be crossed here. Um, You know, to to say that this means a Big 12 season for Dylan or a Florida season, in theory, technically, yes, the calendar would fall in the direction that allows that to take place, but there's a lot of room between now and then before I would say that's even something that's a possibility. I don't think it's possible. That's two, three years down the road. If he has any dreams of going to the NFL, how old is he going to be by 2024? And they're not drafting 26-year-old quarterbacks every year. That's very rare. 
unless you're uh, Chris Winky. But other than that, I, guys that stick around that long usually don't go to the NFL. So if that's his his dream. He's going to come back later at the end of this year or come back next year and have one more good season. We had just the one media availability this week, Monday, with Coach Malzahn. Leaving that, I uh, ran into Isaiah Bowser leaving the, uh, the the dining area. He in a knee brace and walking with a limp. Of course, no crutches, so that's a good thing to see. The bye week this week before they go to Navy. So, you know, some of these guys, and there were half a dozen or so injured in this game at Louisville, will be better. Uh, but it was a very physical game that took out several players and key players at that on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I talked about it on the show this week. I mean, it just feel, it felt like Louisville was just more physical than we were at the point of attack, particularly uh, on on their offensive side of the ball, on our defensive side of the ball. It seemed like they they were kind of pushing us around a little bit here and there, and, and they were getting what they wanted. It was a tough physical game, and it was it was obviously you know disconcerting. And we forget that we went into the game without Matt Lee as well, our starting center. And then obviously losing a starting cornerback, a starting middle linebacker, uh, number one wide receiver, number one running back. Obviously, Dylan doesn't get hurt till the end of the game, but uh, the injuries piled up. And I guess it, it showed, Trace and, and Mike, the, the depth, something we thought may be a strength in some areas. You know, I'm not saying it came back to hurt us, but but clearly we were not able to, to respond when needed. Um, and so I think the depth is definitely something that, you know, maybe this turns out to be a blessing in disguise. These guys got some some live action and, and now we'll be able to you know, adjust and adapt going forward. But, you know, the, the depth after the injury certainly was a bit concerning. I can't remember ever watching a game with this many guys and this many key players getting hurt in every different part of the team. You're talking about a receiver, a running back, a quarterback on the defense, a guy in the secondary, a linebacker. We're missing already guys on, on the offensive and defensive line. Uh, this is in incredible the way this thing played out. Hopefully these guys are able to recover as fast as possible. We know Dylan is probably going to be the longest based on what we're think seeing so far, but uh, I would like to see a lot of these guys get back to the Navy game. I think it was also a bit of a reality check, several reality checks in this game for UCF fans. Those that think two years, three years from now, UCF's just going to cruise into the Big 12. It shows you the level of recruiting, the depth at the positions that are needed. This was a tough physical Louisville team, and that's the sort of teams that you're going to see when you take a step up in level, right? And uh, UCF has a long way to go in recruiting. Let's talk about some things we liked. I'll be a little sarcastic off the top in this one. Daniel Obarski. Uh, he remains perfect, uh, not kicking anything out of bounds. Still have not seen him or any kicker in a field goal situation. Uh, but uh, Daniel Obarski is one thing that I liked from the Louisville game. What about you guys? Yeah, I know it's not on the field, Trace, but I, I got to give a, a shout out to all the Night Nation fans who went out to Louisville on the TV broadcast. You could definitely hear and see the Night fans. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff on Twitter of Night fans taking over Louisville and, and traveling in numbers. Uh, and so hats off to everybody who made the trek out to Louisville. Trace, I know you were one of them um, to, to make the trek out there and to to be loud and to cheer the Knights on. I, I think that's a, that's a really cool element, I think, that we bring to the Big 12. Is our, our fans are looking to travel. They want to go to some of these games. And, and hopefully the Big 12 took notice of how many people trekked it up there to, to Louisville to watch the game. So I enjoyed I loved seeing so much black and gold in the stands. I love the resiliency of this team. We were down a score three different times in the second half of this game, came back and tied it every time. Now we saw the same thing in the first week of the season against Boise State. Now we've actually taken a loss. I have full confidence this team's going to rebound and bounce back the next game. And then 
three things that we did not like so much, and we've already touched on a couple of them, but I would say that it really has dented our expectations on this season. I know, Mike, you're one that likes to predict the UCF. I think this is the fourth or fifth consecutive year where you've got them winning every game. That now, hello, Mike? Okay. Careful with, we don't, we don't need any indecent exposure here as he stands up uh, in front of the camera there. Um, uh, it, it dents fan expectations on the season. I thought it interesting that UCF put out on its social media, they've really tried to pump up Mikey Keene, right? And they really embraced him uh, in social media. And, and you wonder if they're trying to give fans some hope here that the season's not dashed. So I think denting fan expectations is a blow that was uh, experienced in this loss. Yeah, for me, Trace, I, I felt like after Isaiah Bowser went out, we kind of lost our, our offensive identity for a while there. It seems like we didn't know what we wanted to do. We were trying different running backs to find the, the hot hand, if you will. And it took a it took a bit of a time, I think, before we got back into rhythm. You know, anytime you're rolling trick plays out, sometimes those are fun, but sometimes those are uh, a function of necessity. So I felt like we lost our offensive identity. And so I, I, for me, I'd, I'd love to hopefully see that Gus Malzahn, you know, G.J. Kinney, uh, you know, Ice Harris. Hopefully, that those guys kind of took some notes and figured out how do we how do we respond? You know, when maybe our first option or our primary options aren't available because it seemed like we got a little flus- flustered for a while there. Uh, and so, how, how do we respond from that? That's one thing I definitely want to see how the coaching staff specifically improves calling a game when maybe our first option or our first game plan is taken away. You know, obviously, the the obvious thing is the defense. I mean, we allowed 501 yards, but more specifically. The running quarterback killed us again. How long has this been a problem with UCF defenses? We've never been able to stop a running quarterback, and we've still got a big test coming up with Cincinnati and Ritter. we got to get that figured out now. Hopefully it starts with the, the Navy game because you know they're going to be able to run it on us too. So we got to solve that problem, stopping the running quarterback. You know, and I think you guys, you, you talked about it well on the show earlier this week, that as many things that went wrong, from injuries to the inability to stop the Louisville quarterback, UCF was not only still in this game, but really poised to be in position to win. And that says something about the team as well. Yeah, I mean, with time on the clock, Trace, we had the ball in our hands on the plus side of the field with three timeouts, and we were, you know, within arm's distance of of field goal territory. Now, I understand that's not automatic. I get all that. But, I mean, after the game that you saw in the prior 59 minutes and 30 seconds to have said, we're going to be in a position to still win this thing in the end, I think we all would have said, yeah, how's that going to work out? And yet there we were, and it takes a fluke play. And I think a lot of folks, and and I think it was Stephen Ulmner, if I have his name right on Twitter, did a great job with the break down in terms of you know how that play kind of transpired where the you know the d lineman dropped back to where the blitz was coming from you know we're we're one bounce off a shoulder pad away from potentially you know sealing a 38 35 victory which have been fantastic by the way the irony of that score would have been <laughs> would have been just fantastic but for all those things we're we're a shoulder pad glance away from being three you know, 3-0 right now which is you know I, I there's no moral victories in this game but you have to at least say hey we we, we were back in it when it counted the most one of the most devastating losses I can remember. I, obviously, we've had a bunch of them. And just the Pittsburgh game a couple years ago, this one's right up there. Ireland to start the year in 2016, mm. when we had the lead late in the game and then lost it in the last second. Um, these hurt the most to me. So I, we need to move on from this. I'm tired of talking about this game. All right. Well, then we'll <laughs> stop right now. Uh, my nephew uh, is now attending the University of Colorado at Boulder and was at the game which they lost to Texas A&M. And I was messaging with him. He was up on the Jumbotron, took a picture. And 
he said, this loss really hurts. And I said, it is the losses that just sear, in his case, black and gold as well, and Boulder, just sear your fandom into you. You have to experience these losses. And that's part of where the difficulty is for this fan base that's come on since 2017. You know, and the losses, there haven't been many since then, but boy, the trick play in Pittsburgh, there have been losses. Mike, before that, remember Dante Culpepper being stopped short of the goal line. What was it against Ole Miss? And there are just so many of these losses. Uh, I, I don't want to get back, though, to where I expect to lose a game in this kind of fashion. Auburn, 98. No. Georgia, 99. Georgia Tech, 2001. <laughs> there, it seemed to happen every single year back then. But back then, we expected to lose those games and maybe lose them by a score or two. The surprise was that it was so close at the end and we had a chance to win those. These games, we're expecting to win. And somehow we're not pulling off that last play like, like we should be. Yeah, I think the challenge is, yeah, the challenge is, you know, we, we've seen this team perform at optimal levels. And we know when we do that, we know what we're capable of. So anytime we're below that, it feels like, what are we doing? Why aren't we playing well? What's the play calling? Is it players? And I think that's the challenge is we know what this team is capable of. And, and listen, with whom much is given, much is expected. And there are high expectations for UCF now year in and year out. And, and that's tough to live up to. That's tough to, to be perfect every single game, every single play. And, and the challenge is when you play a tough schedule, I know we're going to knock Louisville, but it's a road game on a Friday night in ACC school. They recruit really well. They, they, I mean, their recruiting rankings are higher than UCF's are. Uh, they have a dynamic quarterback. So it, th- these things are going to happen. But the challenge becomes for us as fans, we know what UCF can be when they're at their best. And when they're not at their best, that's when I think pitchforks come out and everyone's saying, what's happening? What are we doing? And, and who needs to be fired? Um, and it's in some ways, it's, it's a good it's a good problem to have. Right. Because we've we've raised expectations because of our performance. But it also brings out a really ugly side of things that I know Mike Bianchi had a column in the Sentinel this week about, you know, just the, the kind of the ugly side of fandom. And it definitely brings that ugly side out um, from a lot of different people. I know Mike had that as has his cow of the week this week. Um, so it definitely does bring out some stuff that, that probably is less than optimal. You know, that's Mike Bianchi's job is to write a provocative column that gets clicks and gets reads. You know, that's a portion of the fan base, but you could say that's a portion of every team and every sports fan base. And this is a young fan base that is very active on social media. I think people just have to stop adding to the players uh, and families uh, and that sort of thing. You know, be critical of plays. You know, I'll take you inside the uh, post-game media room. You know, it's it's difficult. That's a, a very emotional environment. And, you know, you're 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 in there with several other people and you're, you're trying to come up with questions on the fly. And, you know, you're, you're, you're asking questions of, of coach Malzahn in that instance about play calling and things like that. I will say for me, when Louisville was unsuccessful on the uh, fake punt, uh, Matt, Adam, you, you talked about it on, on the show earlier this week, that was a really critical moment that I'm more critical of the way UCF handled than necessarily with three timeouts and, less than 30 seconds to go in the pass and just a split second there. I think that was a missed opportunity to get a score earlier on in that game. Yeah, I, I said that was that was one of the lower moments of the game. The momentum was was ready to swing back to UCF side, and I mean we we literally did nothing with those with those three plays. It was a quick three and out um, after after a, you know anytime you have a momentum swing in the game, that's your chance. I think Mike said in the show too, you know, first play out of the gate, go big, do something big. And we ended up with really three plays that netted us very few yardage and we're turning the ball back over again. I thought that was a, that was a, a key moment in the game because you had uncle Mo on your side. 
And, you know, that's when you strike. And we saw UCF do that right off the bat when they stopped Louisville on on four downs. Two plays later, Ryan O'Keefe had, had been 41 yards in the end zone. And you would have loved to see a response like that. And that's where I said the, the play calling got a little bit weird. I don't know what the situation was. On the TV broadcast, it was really tough because they were not showing the secondary. And so I even messaged you, Trace, and said, hey, is, is Ed Reed and Deion Sanders and Charles Woodson back there? Because I don't know what's happening because they're not showing the second half of the field. And all we saw were check down after check down. And, and that, to me, that was a backbreaker because you had momentum swinging in your direction. If you, I think if you hit Louisville with a big play there, you punch him in the mouth with a touchdown, you know, I, I don't know that they come back up from that. And just part of that was guys were not getting open, and there just wasn't much time for Dylan to, to find anybody. I know, Mike, that you want to turn the page on this, but let's talk about it a little bit more with our guest this week, former UCF quarterback Nick Patty, who I really enjoy having on the show after uh, a victory like we had uh, him on the show following a, a Boise State win. Nick, welcome back into the Sons of UCF Live. You're a quarterback. You know how difficult it is uh, to see uh, Dylan Gabriel go down in that fashion at the end of the game and what may be a season-ending injury for him. Yeah, it's devastating. Um, what a kind of an upsetting thing as a football fan in general. I think it's um, what a hard-fought game, right? Whatever side you're on, uh, he, you know, you hate to see anyone kind of have to go through that. And now this team's got a rally, and um, it'll show a lot about the leadership that we have on this team that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And um, feel for him and what he's got to go through. It's a, you know, blessing that it wasn't a little bit worse, and you know, the surgical thing, and he doesn't need to go through all that. Hopefully, but. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough, man. Nick, what are you saying to Mikey Keene right now, who obviously is going to have to take over a true freshman, seven passes in his college career? What are you saying to Mikey Keene right now about what you would want him to do as he takes the reins? Yeah, I think there's like all the cliche things that you could go to, you know, manage the game, don't let it be too big. Um, I think he's got everything going for him. I think he's got a lot of things, you know, in front of him that are advantages. Um, one being that he's taken some snaps to college level. Um, two being that if, you know, you're going to want to be in this situation, it, having the bye week, having a couple extra snaps, he gets to do, you know, all the interviews and gets that out of the way with the media. Um, he gets, you know, all the conversations with players and all the, you know, all the things that in a normal week seem really short, he gets that advantage. So I, I think, you know, as a teammate, you want to just support him, right? So if you're if you're talking to him as a teammate, you want to know that you know you've you've got his back, that he's got the full support for the team. Um, and then as a coach, I just think it, it, it's a very similar situation, right? It's 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 you know we're behind you, we're going to scheme the game plan around you. You know we're going to play to your strengths. I think those are all big confidence boosters, not only as a young quarterback but as a backup quarterback. Is hey, we're going to do what you're comfortable with. We're going to do what you know suit your skills. And, um, you know, I, I think this coaching staff will do that. This is um, a challenging week, I think, too, for him. And I'm sure we'll get into the Navy matchup. But um, as a guy like Mikey, um, you know, this is a challenging week, I think, for a, a first start at the college level. Gus was talking about how the backup quarterbacks always one play away. So we know that Mikey has been preparing for this. But how much different is the playbook now for a true freshman coming in how much does it get chopped in half because he doesn't, he hasn't had as much experience? I think um, typically it would be narrowed down quite a bit, um, you know, just from a preparation standpoint and a snaps perspective, right? So 
you know, going through camp in practice leading up to this, the twos and three, you know, you're getting very minimal reps on the stuff that you're doing week to week. Obviously you're studying it, you know, the game plan, you know, all that good stuff, but the snaps aren't there. Right. So typically that would be cut down in general. I, I don't think that their scheme and offense really gets altered that much. I think the most of what they do is, is pretty, um, you know, I hate to call their offense standard because that's not what it is, but I really do think they can be so multiple in what they do and throw a lot of looks at you, you know, do a lot of the same things philosophically on offense, but throw a lot of different looks. And so I think they can be pretty multiple still and, and, and open it up. He's a talented enough kid to where, you know, you want to let him rip it a little bit, right. That'll get some of the nerves out and um, let him get comfortable. And you got to get to know him as a player, I think on the offensive side of the ball and, you know, we, we who knows what they're going to do on offense. My suggestion would be to let him rip it because you're still getting to know him as a young player. And who knows, he might come and light it up and, and be as big as the moment. And, um, you know, I think this is a good week to let that happen coming off a loss. You know, you want to create some more buzz and get some excitement back and let him rip it, see what happens. Adam, we had a question, if you bring it back on screen from Robert uh, earlier. Question for Nick, would he have been ready as a true freshman in this situation? Absolutely. <laughs> no, what a what a cool stage, man. As a true freshman, you know, you're, you're walking into a huge environment with a lot of hype and a, and a great school. I mean, what a um, cool stage for Mikey to be on. I, what a fortunate, you know, situation he gets to go through. I would have loved to have had this situation. Um, I think it's like your, you know, your dream. You, you come, you're behind Dylan. It's so um, you know, he's such a solid player. So, you know, your opportunity is probably going to come from an injury, right? You see that, or at least, you know, right now. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool stage for him to be on unfortunate circumstances because Dylan's out, but, um, yeah, it's, it'll be fun to watch him. It'll be fun to rip it. Much of the talk of course has been about Dylan's injury injuries in general. I want to talk about Isaiah Bauer getting out early on in that game and how it disrupts the game plan. I know they went to other running backs and other guys, uh, Johnny Richardson, Trillian Cole stepped up. Certainly they did, but they didn't have the same skill set that Isaiah Bowers. How much did that change things uh, from a running standpoint, a blocking standpoint for the Knights? Yeah, I think his, his style, um, really provides them to be like the word I used earlier, multiple in what they do, because he, he is extremely athletic and he's got the speed to sort of spread out the field, but he can, he can go downhill, man, which is, which is the, the key to Gus's offense, right? It's to get these things going downhill and to get, you know, multiple guys at the point of attack. And, um, you know, I think what I'd like to see more as that, as the offense kind of expands outside of a guy like Isaiah is to use the field left to right. You know, I think we have so much speed and so much talent outside of the RPO game, but in the run game off tackle, um, you know, and, and I think it, it changes things exponentially, but I, I, I think we should be able to do that with the talent that we have. Nick, UCF went two for 10 on third down at Louisville. What can be done over these next couple of weeks to try to improve on that as we head into Navy? It, first thing I think is on, on early downs, kind of taking bigger chunks, right? And I, I know you guys alluded to it right before I came on with the drive, you know, after the punt and, you know, you go the quick three and out. I think on early downs, we're just way too cautious. And I think 
that the offense can expand on those early downs, not with taking big shots because that's what puts you behind, right? But um, having bigger – taking advantage of the early downs on in the passing game, really. And even if it's getting four or five-yard clips um, because – just putting yourself behind the chains because you've gotten one to two yard runs and you, you know, on both first and second down, um, it just doesn't give you a lot of options on, on third and long. And, you know, I, I just think we could be a little bit more aggressive in certain situations, um, you know, to, to make ourselves more comfortable in those third downs. And I, you're not two for two for, what was it? Two for 10. Two for 10. That's yeah. just not going to, you're, it's not – those aren't good numbers, man. I, I just don't think you're going to win games because that, that leads to the field position number, which is one of the bigger stats in the win-loss ratio. If, you you know, you look at that stat, I mean, it. so that that's one thing I think if you could knock down a stat, it's the third down conversions. Not only are we going to see Mikey Keene, we're going to see some of Joey Gatewood going forward. What percentage of split would you like to see between the two, and how much is too much Gatewood where it would actually hinder Keene's development? Yeah, I think um, this is a perfect question right after the third down question because I'd love to see them utilize him in situational downs. I'm not huge on like a two-quarterback system. I think it, it hurts a rhythm. It hurts confidence in certain ways if you don't make the switch at the right time. Um, I think it was Lou Holtz that said if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback, and I, I really do believe that. Um, you know, there's certain situations you got to make a change, but that's – not what we're talking about here, right? I think they can be really strategic about how they use him in, in certain downs, goal line, third and short, um, even early, early downs, right, if they want to mix it up on with some trickery. But I think they should be situational with it. I don't think they should split their time, especially with a young kid like Mikey, who you just don't know where he's going to be at in his headspace, right? You don't know where his confidence is going to be. So if he's coming in and out of the game, and you want to get him in a rhythm and let him get comfortable and then use it situational. And I think they can do a good job of that game planning. So he knows going in, hey, if we're in a third and short or a goal line, this is how we're going to use it. Because um, I think Gatewood's ability to create, right, and, and run around a little bit and use him in the RPO game, I think that's where he creates a big advantage. So that's why I say third and short and goal line and stuff like that. But I think they should be careful because that can, you know, lead to if, if – if Mikey's going to be the guy for the rest of the season, um, you know, I think that they should be um, weary. But at the same time, we don't know because Gatewood's a talented kid. So we'll see. Let's talk about another quarterback, Louisville's Malik Cunningham. They knew what they were getting with him. They practiced for it, but they really couldn't contain him most of the night. Is that just they, they're not good enough on defense yet with the players that they have on the field to be able to – contain a quarterback like Cunningham because they're going to see a similar quarterback that's not afraid to move uh, and Desmond Ritter in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, right? Because you don't want to take anything away from just the pure talent that that kid is. Right. And I think you saw the same thing with Lamar Jackson when he was at Louisville, you're seeing it now in the NFL. It's like some people are just so athletic and so able to create McKenzie was like that at UCF. I mean, they just have an uncanny ability to create no matter how much talent you have on the defense side of the ball. I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, we, we saw some missed opportunities on the defensive side with some missed tackles. And like you said, just kind of pure, just lack of, of ability at times. But I, I also think that he's just an extremely talented kid that creates some problems that you don't see very often and you can't create on the scout team. You don't get that look 
throughout the week, right? You can put somebody back there that can run around and create that, but you don't get that realistic look, you know, when your back's turned to the guy and you, you maybe you're in man coverage and he just makes one guy miss and he's off to the races. I mean, it, it's just created such a challenge with a similar challenge this week in Navy. I think some of the things you talk about on the defensive side, if there are things to be exposed, they'll be exposed this week. Um, you know, and, and, and hopefully, hopefully not. I think that there's a lot of um, coaching talent on that side of the ball, and I'm confident they'll get it figured out. Yeah, Nick, let's talk about Navy. Obviously, they play a, a triple uh, option style of offense. Uh, you, you were there, obviously, when UCF played them, obviously, famously in 2016. Um, h- how much does that impact the week leading up to the game? How much does that throw off the normal routine, having to prepare for an offense that you typically don't see at all? For the defense, I think it really does change things quite a bit. Um, you know, it, it it's something that, like, same thing with creating a guy like Malik on the offensive side. You know, you can't – you don't have a chance to perfect the triple option on the scout team, right? So the defense can't get a true look of what they're going to see, and it's an extremely challenging offense to go against from a scheme standpoint, right? It's so balanced right and typically balanced may create some advantages for the defense but on this in this instance it's just it's extremely challenging because you don't know which way they're going there's so much misdirection I, I think it um, it creates some opportunity um, to an advantage I think is the bye week right it cre- we have a good um, opportunity to create some advantages for us to them one on the scout team side of the ball to get the look down, but two for keys and reads on the defensive side. I just think that it's, um, you know, this is where you get your discipline from. This is where you find all that. And I think it'll be uh, quite a challenge. Sorry, a little scatterbrain there, but it'd be challenging. Yeah, yeah. To follow up, Nick, on, on defense, who are the key positions or players that have to be really fundamentally sound playing against the triple option? Is, is it the line? Is it the linebackers? Who are the, the guys that UCF fans can really key in on to figure out if UCF staying kind of sound from a defensive standpoint? It's the second level guys, typically. It's the linebackers. It's the guys on the edge. Um, you know, every once in a while, it'll be the, the defensive backs, right? Because it's, it's like Novocaine. It, it puts you to sleep and you don't feel anything for a while back there. And then, bang, it hits you and they hit you over the top for a big play. So the discipline comes from all the second and third level guys. Up front, not a lot changes for those guys in the trenches just because they have the same keys and reads. They have a, they have a, a hole they're filling. They've got a gap. Um, but the linebackers, to have discipline, the guys on the edge to, to be sound in their responsibilities, those are the guys that you want to look at. The offense has been rolling along pretty good the first three games. The receivers look good. The running backs look good. But the tight ends haven't been involved very much. Is that by design? Is that just because we have too many weapons? Or is there something we can do to get the tight ends more involved? I've been surprised at that a little bit. Um, just because at Auburn, I feel like they had uh, the tight ends and that kind of like scat position guy who was typically like a fullback or a tight end. It was Brandon Fulce. It was um, the Cox kid at Auburn for a while. Um, and I was excited to see Jake um, Hiscock in that position because I think he fits well. But I've been it hasn't been really a factor in what we're doing and that creates a lot of misdirection. Also, there's some like counter game that we've been missing. I feel like in that, and I'm not sure if that comes from them just feeling like we have too many weapons on the outside and we don't want to bring it in. Um, but I would love to see them get more involved. And also too, there's so much like RPO 
involved in this offense, and those guys play a big role possibly, or they at least used to um, in Gus's offense. And I, I just love to see them get that more involved because that'll take some pressure off of the tackles. It'll take some pressure off of the – it'll take some – alleviate some of the pressure out of the box, right? If you can get the tight ends involved in the passing game, it loosens up the box a little bit because they have to either allocate a safety, they got to keep the, the safeties at too high, you know, anything like that. So I just think, um, you know, if they can get that involved a little bit, it'll, it'll loosen up those guys on the edge and let our, let our talent shine a little bit more, but it'll also um, on third down, you know, third down and in the red zone, they could be really effective. Uh, Nick, let's wrap up with this. What is reasonable for fans now to expect? You know, there are a group of fans that expect perfection, and now perfection has been dented, and now you don't have your starting quarterback. What do you think is reasonable here? The goals are still there. They can still claim uh, an American Athletic Conference championship, but where do you think fans need to set their expectations with a true freshman leading the way? Yeah, I, I don't think that a conference championship is unrealistic. Right. Um, in, in the American conference right now, um, I think setting the expectation, I think somebody said it best that uh, and I, I forget exactly who it was, but it's, you know, you got to be and I, I this may may sound crazy coming from me, but be Boise State before you can be Alabama. Right. I think that there's this unreasonable expectation in college football right now that you, if you don't run the table, you're not relevant and you don't belong, which isn't the case. Right. You can. You can lose two games, win the conference championship. That is a successful year. Les Miles, you know, getting fired from LSU was a travesty, right? The guy won 10 games every year. It's like, I just think there's an unrealistic expectation set because there's so many, you know, dynasty type uh, programs right now. But I think, you know, if we drop, if we drop one or two more with a true freshman quarterback, I don't think that that should shock anybody, right? And it shouldn't make anybody run for the hills. It shouldn't uh, make anybody raise any flags. I'd be surprised, you know, if, if we did, I, I, it's certainly not the goal, but um, you know, with our situation right now, I think that that's realistic for fans. As TP3 just said on screen, Nick Patty, great guest, so much knowledge. Nick, we appreciate you hopping back on with the Sons of UCF Live, and we'll catch up with you again as the season rolls along. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Love being on. Thank you, Nick. Well, good praise there from Nick about uh, Mikey Keene, and we're going to get to see him the bye week this week, Navy coming up uh, a week Saturday. Of course, that was uh, many of the questions directed to Coach Malzahn during Monday's media availability, and I asked him about this, too. Do you have to pare back the playbook? Let's hear from Coach Malzahn. He's got a really good idea of uh, you know, what Mikey uh, feels comfortable with. Uh, you know, going into these first three games, he's one play away from playing. And so, you know, really, you know, communicating with him, narrowing things down to what he feels comfortable with. And that's what we're going to do moving forward. And the thing about it, he's a, he's a very intelligent young man. He can uh, process things. He's very good with protections. Uh, he's very good with coverage recognition. So, you know, I think we're in good hands. Do you feel good about his first start being on the road and against Navy? 
I mean, I think Nick said it best. The bye week is huge, right? Because if this comes on a week where he's going to have to get you know prepared quickly, I think maybe you feel a little bit differently. But now we have a full bye week plus a, a regular practice week to get him up to speed. I feel better if you tell me Bowser's going to play, you tell me that Jalen Robinson's going to play, and you tell me we're going to weave the tight end in. Because I feel like if, if those things are there, I think that makes things a little bit easier on Mikey. He's got weapons. He can rely on a running game. And then if you tell me the defense can step up, I think – you know, Nick's still in the chat here. I think he could not have said and agree. If you have, if you have a quarterback that has a solid running game and a solid defense, and all you need Mikey to do is manage, make some plays when he can, get out of the pocket with his legs, do some things within himself. That's a recipe for success. But if he has, you know, a running game that isn't isn't catching on, a defense that's not playing well, I think that's where you have challenges. So I think it's less about Mikey. I think he'll he'll stay within himself and manage the game and do well. I think if he has those weapons around him, I feel a whole lot better uh, about him coming into this game, particularly on a bye week. Yeah, I think it's the perfect situation for him. One, the bye week. Two, Navy has been terrible this year. And I actually think being on the road may help him. When you're at home, maybe you try to do a little bit too much, a little bit too hyped up. Now he's on the road. If the other guys are there for him, I think this is a good situation for him. Get his feet wet. Plus, we should have a lot more speed than Navy. So the guys on the outside do their job. He's just got to get the ball to him. Do you think Coach Malzahn suits up like Coach Frost did and, uh, you know, practices that triple option in the, the lead up to Navy? Would you like to see that? Maybe that'd be something. No, we've got enough injuries right now. I don't need Gus pulling a hammy. Maybe G.J. Kinney. I mean, he's still kind of young. I mean, he played at Tulsa. He threw the he, he slung the pill more in the air back then. But maybe maybe Kinney. But I don't need Gus. we got enough of a mash unit right now. Uh, some more football news. Now, guys, I'm going to need to borrow a little bit of money. The uh, Shareholder Society announced that they're upping their limits in honor of the Big 12. Uh, now $12,000 annually over five years, uh, $60,000 commitment. I, I need a little bit of a raise here for the Sons of UCF live show. You think you could ante up a little bit? I'm going to call it. Who's in charge right? of the payroll? I think, I think that's going to be a no. There was a dramatic pause. I think that was a no. How about that? Big 12, uh, $12,000. I will say this. We're a couple weeks removed from this Big 12 announcement, and um, you're still not hearing any big announcements of any big dollar donors. I don't think the very fundamentals of our demographics have changed. It's still a young fan base that does not have deep pockets, but kudos to them for upping that level from 10000 to 12000 annual commitment. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, 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 you know, Timo has said before he will put his, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, sale price on the inside of the the bathroom door in the stall in the locker room if he can. So I think he's going to try to maximize uh, earnings any way he can. You know, obviously it's a, it's a catchy, you know, way to saying, Hey, join us as we go to the big 12. And it probably doesn't hurt to do that after, or probably does hurt, excuse me, to do that after a loss. Maybe after a big win, you put, you put out the big 12 stuff, maybe not after a loss after the Boise game would have been fantastic. They did more than doubled it. I thought it used to be 5,000 per year and that's over five years, almost triple going from 25 to 60. That's a lot of money. And uh, I don't find myself in the shareholder society anytime soon. <laughs> uh, wide receiver Justin Menard confirming he'll enter the NCAA transfer portal. Justin, we hardly knew you, but good luck to you. And well, Trace, this is interesting yeah. because this is the De'Ara King sort of rule right now, or the Kelly Bryant Clemson rule. You get four games to play, and then you can transfer and still kind of redshirt. So for many college programs, this is week three, week four coming up. Not saying Justin Menard is a is – a, you know, uh, a program changing talent. However, you know, this could be a situation where you start seeing some kids pop their name in the portal now who have played three or four games and want to move on to greener pastures and aren't getting the playing time. They're not immediately eligible, but this could be kind of the, this is sort of like the free agency period in baseball or basketball where you get that window of time. So this is the first one from UCF. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's the last one as well. Another good reason we have a bye week this week because the coaches are out recruiting right now. Maybe they can That's catch right. somebody on the transfer portal. 
That's right. Uh, we've been talking about bowl projections. You know, it was Penn State, UCF in the Fiesta. It was Notre Dame and UCF in the Fiesta. It's funny how that loss has changed some of the bowl projections. Uh, Action Network now has uh, UCF versus Virginia in the Fenway Bowl up in Boston. Uh, ESPN with two different sets of projections, one with Wake Forest, another with Miami, which isn't a bad uh, matchup in the Military Bowl up in uh, the nation's capital. So, uh uh, the bowl projections. This uh, this is, by the way, you talked about it before. Moving to the Big 12 improves your bowl uh, tie-ins. So you're not automatically relegated to a Gasparilla or a Fenway or a military. We talked a little bit about the defense uh, and what we saw in the game against Louisville. I asked two questions, inspired one by at Golden Knight underscore the second. Has our defense improved as a unit, was asked. Uh, what about the lack, uh, lack of tackles for loss, uh, turnover, sacks, third down stops, playing soft coverage? What have they improved on? So I asked, which defense is better, 20 or 21? 94% said 2021 defense, which seems pretty logical. And then I asked, well, all right, grade the 2021 defense. 59% said fair, 12% said poor, uh, 27% say good. What about you? Uh, Good. I applaud the folks that said excellent. Uh, those are apparently not the same ass clowns on uh, social media that are going after our players. They probably did not vote for excellent, but uh, I'd say fair. What do you think? Fair at this point? Sorry, you stunned me with ass clowns. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think fair is probably the right answer, Trace. I mean, obviously Bethune, you kind of got to throw out. Boise was still kind of in doubt. They put up 31 on us. Obviously, we lose to Louisville. Um, so the scoring defense uh, isn't great. Obviously, the, the rush defense was stellar leading up to Louisville. So I think good to fair. Fair probably feels right um, just because – you know, obviously we haven't necessarily been a lockdown, shutdown defense. Um, and, and we played two programs, you know, Boise only put up, I think, 20 to Oklahoma State. Uh, and, and yet they they put up, uh, you know, what, 31 to us. So I think fair is it uh, uh, is fair. But I think, again, we keep forgetting. I love T-Will to death. He's a first time defensive coordinator. This is game three of T-Will calling defensive plays. And, and listen, this is no disrespect to him, but there was a period of time there where Scott Satterfield, the Louisville head coach, he just had his lunch. Whatever T. Will was doing, Satterfield had the exact counter to it. I think he's going to grow and learn those things. I think he's going to watch a lot of tape, and hopefully he's going to figure that stuff out. But, you know, he's still a young defensive coordinator. A lot of these guys are new, gelling together. I think fair is the appropriate grade three games in. Yeah, I mean, comparing it to last year, last year's defense is probably one of the worst we've ever had. I think we were ranked, what, 123rd in the nation? So it's not hard to beat better than that past last year's defense. Um you talk about the Boise game, the defense only gave up 24 points. Remember, one of those touchdowns was an interception for a touchdown. And the, their last score, we set them up at the 30-yard line, too. The defense played really well the second half of that game. It's really just this past game where we kind of fell apart. But we, we had a lot of injuries this week. So, I mean, there is reason for it. Last year, we were missing half the defense for the second half of the year, too. So, there, there was a big difference between last year and this year. Boy, if there's any stat, though, that stands out from the first uh, quarter of the season, it's two pick sixes against the Knights' defense, uh, right? Or the Knights' offense, I guess, as they're the ones turning over the ball. As we were coming on, women's soccer was losing 2-1 at home. As we go around the kingdom, they, they dropped the home match to Memphis to fall to 5-4, 0-2 in AAC play 
at SMU next Thursday. So Knights did well in the non-conference portion of the schedule and now struggling a bit as conference play uh, is underway. Volleyball, uh, they're up to 15th in the unofficial RPI. They had a strong non-conference slate. They open at home Friday uh, against ECU. Cincinnati Sunday, uh, they swept the Volleyball Awards. McKenna Melville, Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, Claudia Dillon, Defensive Player of the Week. And Men's Soccer, uh, they beat Memphis 4-1. They're 1-0 in AAC play. They swept all the awards as well. Luca Dorado, Offensive Player of the Week. Anderson Rosa, Defensive Player of the Week. Tyler Levine, Goalkeeper of the Week. They've got Temple Friday. And they're at the Cows, the War on I-4. Is that still a thing, right? That's still a thing, the War on I-4 trophy. We're still playing for that, of course. Uh, some points up for grabs on Wednesday over in Tampa. Time to open the mailbag. Let's see. we got some time here. Let's see how many questions we can get through. I see some questions from some folks we haven't heard before from, but uh, at Sublime underscore night. We've come to expect the other shoe to fall as UCF fans. Boy, that is true. Has there ever been a more dramatic fall from highs to lows in our history as going from the euphoria of being invited to the Big 12 to Dylan seriously injured in just seven days? Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's right up there. I mean, obviously, the you know, when you when you add a, a human element to it of an injury that 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 ups the ante, obviously, the Mackenzie Milton injury kind of comes to mind. But, you know, seven days later, UCF is winning a conference championship. So from uh, low to yeah, high. Yeah. So I don't I don't know that that qualifies. Hawaii Bowl. Obviously, we know we make a, a, a miraculous comeback in our first ever bowl game where we're going to tie this thing. We're going to be great. And all of a sudden we're not. But again, when you add in the element of a human injury, I think that's the thing that pushes it over the top. So maybe recency bias, but uh, I'll give it to Sublime underscore night that this is probably the uh, the thing. Yeah, the Ireland game came, comes to mind. Um, the twenty. How about going from 2013 season to the 2015 season? You can't go from higher to lower, lower than that. Uh, how about the 2008 game against the Cows? We were um, we tied the game to set it into overtime and to lose to the Cows in overtime. 90, 98, you're nine and two. If we think we're going to our first ever bowl game and then get shut out of that, so uh, there's been a few ups and downs that I can remember. How are we doing with the magic beer, by the way? Mm. Do we take any of that out <laughs> against Louisville? <laughs> At Knight underscore Merchant. I like this question. I think Mike, Knight underscore Merchant uh, new to us. All right, Mike, if you don't like the question, just leave. <laughs> he's, he's not ready for it. He's I'm not, not, ready I'm for never it. quite sure what he's doing. Last week it was barking dogs or what have you. Oh. Now he's just shot. After well, three well, games, which transfer players have impressed? Welcome back. Have impressed Thanks. you the most. And which ones have yet to live up to their hype? I'm going to go with one. I know, I know. I'll just leave Big Cat uh, to uh, Grande. <laughs> Brandon Johnson, uh, seasoned at wide receiver. We forget that he transferred in. He and I know Isaiah Bowser is out there as well, but he's who has impressed me the most. Brandon Johnson, wide receiver. Yeah, that's a good one, Chase. That was my answer as well. He seems sure-handed, doesn't drop anything that comes his way. Yeah, he's not going to be Ryan O'Keefe and run the fly routes that burns the defensive back, but anytime the ball seems to be in his general vicinity, he puts a glove on it, he catches it. I think Big Cat Brian, I know Mike's going to use that one probably, but I, I think it's not even so much what's impressed me, but you saw in Louisville, they figured out what side is Big Cat on Let's go the other way. So if, if, if teams are game planning against staying away from Big Cat, that obviously tells you the impact he has. And this, I don't know if this guy counts as a transfer, Trace, but I would also say Divide Wilson. I know he played a little bit last year in, in, in parts, but he had a play late in the game where Malik Cunningham got to the edge and Divide Wilson was kind of the, the guy. And he did a fantastic job keeping him in front of him. He just kind of almost, almost played defense like he was guarding a shooter in, in, in basketball. Kept him in front of him, put his hands up, made him make a move, and then Cunningham threw it out 
out of bounds. So I, I'm going to go Devon Wilson as well, even though he's kind of sort of a transfer because he played a little bit last year, but obviously our first real chance to see him this year. Yeah, I, I hate to say the guys that haven't lived up to their hype. I don't know how much hype these guys had, but Bryson Armstrong, uh, Latu, the guy from uh, BYU, I haven't seen any of him, but Armstrong dropping that interception last week was mm. a killer. I mean, you you yeah. got to make that play. That's right in the breadbasket. We, we got to have that one. Disappointing, another Johnson, Jordan Johnson, wide receiver. Mm. I haven't really seen much of him, and he came in with all of the stars transferring in from Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, he was on the field a little bit, I think, against Bethune, but zero catches, zero targets on the year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not not quite sure what the situation is there. At Notre Dame, I think he had some challenges with playbook, with with drops. So, you know, perhaps he's just still kind of learning the Gus system. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Thanks for hanging in there. It's 47 minutes. It's an hour-long show. Do your best. Uh, do your is, best. To, to is Trace's audio a little off? Do you hear this, or is it just on my end here? No, it's on your end. I've got yeah. wired into everything. I'm he good. sounds angelic to me, Mike. He sounds like he's on slow motion on my side. Yeah, Adam sounds good. It's you. It's you. I'm wired in. I'm not having technical problems. It's, it's you on your end. At blackgold underscore ed. Uh, why didn't we pick up the blitz on that unspeakable uh, pick six play? If Matt Lee was in, do we pick it up? I, I would only say you do want Matt Lee in, but uh, you got to give Cole Schneider credit for stepping in in the way in which he has. Why don't we pick it up? Again, I, I, I don't remember his Twitter handle. I think his name is Steven Ulmer on, on Twitter. Had a great breakdown. And it sounded like if I if I heard him correctly, and obviously I don't think Gus or Herb Hand are going to comment on this, perhaps just a miscommunication on on which way they needed to slide their protection as a, as a blitzer came up. Obviously, a defensive tackle broke back into secondary coverage, maybe got some confusion. So you, you wonder, had Matt Lee, you know, would he have seen that? Would he have picked that up before? Um possibly i don't know i think it came from the right side which maybe you know uh, sam jackson's out there so he, he's a veteran um maybe yes but it's hard to play the result on that yeah i don't know whose fault it is it causes dylan to let go of it maybe a split second early and a, a little bit harder than he probably wants to and of course johnson can't get his hands up it bounces off the pad we all know what happens from there Yes, at UCF Guy 23. What should I do with the 15 second clip of UCF fans celebrating in and around uh, uh, after the game winning, uh, supposed to be game winning UCF interception? Delete it, never speak of it again. Post to remind UCF fans that UCF football should never be counted out. Uh, what do you do with that? I say keep it. Here's the problem. I, I said this on the podcast. I feel bad. Well, this is going to sound really bad now. I feel bad for Tramon Morris Brash because he made one of the great individual plays that we've ever seen. And if we go down the field and kick a field goal, he is a hero. He is somebody that we're going to remember that play forever. A great, and he batted the ball up, made the interception himself, only played nine snaps, didn't play in the last previous two weeks for reasons that he caused himself. Uh, so we will forget that play in history because that was a great yeah. individual play. So I say keep it because it's still a cool moment. Maybe don't post it for a while. Wait till we win like a bowl game and then throw it on there and act like it never happened. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to the other question. This is uh, Justin Holman scoring that touchdown in Ireland. This is Rocky Ross scoring that touchdown to tie the game against the Cows. It's a play that would be a legendary play in UCF history if we win. Since we lose, nobody's going to remember it by, in two years. At our buddy, at Eric Lopez Elo, best media food you've ever had for a UCF game to this point, I imagine that's directed to me, at Pittsburgh. They had all kind of carving stations. They had all kind of cookies. They had all kind of good stuff up there. Uh, and plenty of Heinz ketchup. 
So what's the worst? At, what's call somebody out, Trace? What's the um, worst media food? Nah, it's not so good for UCF. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, UCF yeah. on UCF crime there. Okay, yeah, not so good for UCF at Zebels. UCF Pittsburgh and Louisville have made shirts to celebrate beating UCF. What win play in UCF history would you put on a shirt? Uh, to me, it's Javier Borlegi uh, defeating Alabama. Uh, that kick. Uh, that's that's the T-shirt moment. But remember, UCF made T-shirts leading Nebraska at Nebraska at the half. So there's a history of this T-shirt making. Yeah, the Borlegi is the obvious one. I think a couple underrated ones. Give me the the Jordan Ozerite's interception against the Cows in 2013. Give me the Shaquan Bursette, uh, Burkett interception in 2017 against uh, Auburn and the Peach Bowl as two options as well. Um, I think those are two I'll take. And then I don't know how this this plays out, but give me the KZ to Adrian Killen's pitch in the 2017 uh, Black Friday game, uh, even though that maybe wasn't the game-winning play. That's an iconic play, one of my favorite UCF history. You guys are missing the obvious ones, uh, the Mike Hughes kick return, the J.J. Wharton catch. That's a picture that lives on forever. And I, I would like a stand back running over the Rutgers guy. Mm. That'd be a cool T-shirt. Yeah, that's a good one. At Lonely BUCF, after going perfect on PATs, no kicks out of bounds, is Daniel Orbarski our quarter season MVP? I mean, <laughs> are we doing quarter system. season MVPs? <laughs> Honor system, raise your hands out there if you had Obarski perfect at this point in the season. I do wonder, I was going to ask Nick this question, but we ran out of time with him. Obviously, Gus has not used a kicker for whatever reason, whether that's he wants to be aggressive or he has some challenges there. I feel like at some point, we were we were sitting dead red with Nita and Obarski in this Louisville game if Omari Johnson catches that a little bit. And I don't know how y'all were feeling about that, but having not seen him on the field this year, it was going to be a little shaky. So, I mean, I'd love to see him trot out there. I don't know if Gus has a strategy. I'm sure he does. Um, but I mean, he hasn't missed a, uh, you know, a kick uh, out of bounds, knock on wood. Um, and he's, he's, he's actually getting a pretty heavy amount of touchbacks. So maybe the Obarski hate is, uh, is a little bit unwarranted. His long, there was another UCF opportunity is for him. 38 yards though, 38 yeah. yards. So what's his range? 39. We had, a, we had a shot to find out early in the game and it was a seven, seven. And we went for it on a fourth and two instead. We turned out to be a touchdown, but that was field goal range. Um, but if everybody goes by this pro football focus grading of the players every week, the offense and defense, we never get the special teams grades. But Obarski's got to have 100 every week, right? He's done everything right. He's kicked every extra point. He hasn't missed any kicks. He's, all his kicks are in bounds. So he's done everything we've asked for him so far. At Capped Veej 1, what do fans do to sh show support for DG at the next game? I think the obvious ones are the Ohana shirts, the, the flowered lays and all that. But it, it's got to be fanny packs from DG the brand, right? 40,000 uh, fanny packs. Yeah. Instead of starry night with the phone, everyone hold up the uh, air freshener. The air freshener. <laughs> It'll smell fantastic in there. He'll love it. I think the, the best thing we can do is just show up. I mean, this is a game. The next home game is against East Carolina. I know a lot of fans don't get excited for that game. Who knows what the kickoff time, it could be a noon game, early game. Just show up and support the team, support Mikey Keene. I think that's the best thing we can do for right, right now for and Dylan. At Joe Paulade, how does DG's injury impact potential draft stock? Uh, I don't see that happening in the next year. Does this make him more likely to come back next year? Uh, I think a lot of that depends on how Mikey Keene plays, right? What does this do to the quarterback room this year and next for transfers and potential commitments? Lots of questions from Joe. There are a lot of questions. You want to see Mikey Keene succeed. The more success he has, uh, perhaps the less likely you are to see Dylan Gabriel again. 
for you. Yeah, a, a lot of this rests on the arms and legs of Keen, comma, Michael, because if he comes in and plays really well, uh, you know, obviously there's a tough decision to be made from a coaching standpoint. Look, we've seen this happen in the NFL before. It happens all the time. Mike's Giants famously did this in like 1988, right? Or, ni- or 1990, Nine. Hostetler and Sims, right? And this stuff happens all the time. Do you ride the hot hand or do you go back to the guy who got you there? A, a lot of football left to be played. You know, I- ultimately, I hope Dylan just recovers and-, and gets himself healthy. What I don't want to see him do is rush back and play in a game if he's not ready to play in the game and then get himself even further injured. I'd rather him at 100% to be able to make a decision if that's staying or going or coming back, whatever the case the case might be. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, our energy is go to Mikey Keene and what he can provide for the team. Normally, I would have said it's Dylan's job when he comes back, but we just saw this situation with Mackenzie Milton, and we saw Dylan come in and play as well as he did, and Milton had to leave town. So uh, if, if Mikey Keene steps in and Mikey Keene goes on the road and beats Cincinnati as a true freshman, something Dylan didn't do, and he, and he keeps this train rolling and we're undefeated, and it's time for Dylan to come back, that's a very tough call to make. I don't know what happens then. Uh, let's see if we go rapid fire for some of these. At by C.A. Simmons. Christian asking, will Mikey Keene have five, six, or seven total touchdowns against Navy? I'm going to go with the under, but I guess he's throwing in the possibility of some rushing uh, touchdowns there. What about this one? At the CMAS 14, Keen Gatewood, how does the percentage of snaps break down? I think if you're only going to use Gatewood for obvious run situations and you're never going to let him throw the ball, right? Is, is that something that we know what to expect from him? But as Nick mentioned, if – if you're going to bring in Mikey Keene, let him throw and don't let him be distracted by Gatewood. So it is going to be interesting to see what and how they use Gatewood. Yeah, the only thing that gives me pause is obviously I think Gus sees Gatewood to be able to run that Cam Newton-style package, which he had so much success with at Auburn. So if Gus loves that package, falls in love with look, Gatewood had been on campus like nine minutes, and he had a special package of plays for him already. Quadri Jones is on the phone right now being like, what do I got to do? So there, there must be something that Gus likes about what Gatewood brings. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gatewood gets more run than we think. Mike, what about this one? At Citro Knight, what are the odds we see three quarterbacks take snaps in the next two weeks? Oh, goodness. Well, I hope not, because that means there's probably an injury somewhere in there. The three is too much. Two is fine. And going back to the last question, I think anything more than 80-20 is kind of doing more damage than good. I'd like to get Keen, like, like Nick Patty said, keep him in a rhythm, use Gatewood when we need him. All right, some running back questions. Robert with one, uh, two letters, two words. Can running back by committee work for the remainder of the year? Uh, that's assuming that you don't have Isaiah Bowser's back. And uh, it's Bryson Turner. Between Richardson, Coles, and Richards, who gets the most carries if Bowser misses time? I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a hot hand approach. And that's what one of my other criticisms of Gus was in this game. It cleared towards the end of the game. Johnny Richardson had the hot hand. He was gashing the defense. And no disrespect to Trillian Coles or Mark Anthony Richards, who made a cameo appearance. I think this can work if you find the guy who's got the hot hand. UCF's got some options back there. Figure out who's who's seeing the, the hole better, who's able to, to move the blocks around and go with that guy. Uh, so if Gus can figure out who that is, then this can absolutely work. But if we're going to you know, stagger around guys and sort of fumble through it, then, then we're going to have uh, challenges like we saw through the first three and a half quarters against Louisville. Yeah, I'm on record as being a huge Johnny Richardson fan. I'd like to see him be the next guy to get that shot. At J.P. Gilbert, what's an acceptable one-loss record in the post-DG injury era here? Nine. I mean, you heard Nick mention if they could, if they could lead him to nine wins. It's funny how nine wins look, right? Nine wins – not really acceptable to the fan base in 2019, but if you could get nine wins uh, with Mikey Keene at quarterback, but you got to think eight, maybe. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't, in my opinion, we can't drop more than two in the conference. 
right? So we, we can't drop more than two games. Uh, I think one is fantastic. We can't drop more than two in the conference um, or else we're, we're definitely on the outside looking at it, in my opinion. Yeah, what's acceptable, I guess, two losses. But what I really want is to have that game against SMU be a meaningful game late in the year. We can't blow a game like an early game. I know we don't play Tulsa this year, but we can't lose one to, say, East Carolina at home or something. If you, we lose, you tell me we lose to Cincinnati, I can accept it. But that we got to be in contention in November, still with a chance to make the conference championship game. Former guest on this show at Stop Boy Drew, if you were the defensive coordinator, what would you change about the formation and personnel? That's a loaded question. Huh? I just think that you need better players, right? You need better players. Yeah. You need more experience on the part of the defensive coordinator, and you need some guys to turn their heads when the ball's being thrown in their direction. Yeah, I think you can't be afraid to play the guys who have earned it. And I think there, there may be some guys who are getting some run who are, are playing okay, but maybe aren't the best in that opportunity. And it may be a guy who's been there a long time, maybe a senior. But I think you play the, the people who are giving you the best opportunity to, to, to win. Um, and, and I think at this point, you should know who those people are. It ain't the X's and the O's. It's the Jimmy and the Joe's. So uh, right now we don't have those guys. You know, We got to go with what we got and hope for the best. Uh, at Nitro 407, why do we sub on pretty much every play? Adam, you got an answer? Yeah, why are we taking questions from Josh Heupel's burner is really my question oh, here. Hello. Um, hello. Yeah, I mean, it, to be fair, it's a, it's a criticism because there were third down plays. And it's funny because we always lamented and said, why are we not taking our time? Call a great play. Why are we going so fast? Now we do that. We're like, hey, hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go. I think there's a happy balance there. I think there are times where we have the momentum uh, and we should we should definitely take advantage of that. But I, I definitely can understand a big play is you want to have the right play call. Uh, Mike at facts underscore UCF. Where are our tight end plays? What was the preseason projection by you and the Sunnies? Was it 23, it was 25 and a half, 24.5 yeah. total as a, as a tight end unit. I think if I have the numbers right, we're still at two. So times four, that's less. Uh, that's not good. That you see feisty, missy. What about our kickers? What's being done? So Gus has faith in them. Gus sees them in practice a couple of times a week. So, um, I think Gus knows what he needs to know, and uh, we'll see how many games we can go uh, without attempting a field goal. And we'll end with Brian W. Peterson. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how relieved is Timo after Friday's loss and injuries that Nike fans now have something else to talk about other than Nike versus Adidas? Fear not, Brian. It lurks just under the surface. Uh, good therapy session for you guys. Some two hours. Suns number 148. You're... you're you're getting closer. You, what's what's the big 150 plan? Is, are you breaking out potato salad, uh, uh, special beer, mystery beer? What's um, what's on tap? Well, that'll be what mm -hmm. post Navy will be 150 if my math is right in my head. So hopefully we're celebrating a victory, uh, and uh, hopefully you know Mike and I both show up on time. <laughs> I don't think we have any plans. I, look, when this thing started. I didn't know if we'd do five episodes. So 150 is hard to believe. Now we've added this live show in here. This is a, almost a full-time job. I will say, I don't want to jinx this, we are working on a big guest. Ooh. We have an in, I think, to something that could be really cool. I just jinxed it totally, and now he won't be hey. on. But What's a hint? On a Give us a hint. Any hint. Sport? No. Football? Yes. Okay. Working on a big guest, and uh, we have an in and it, now it won't work out. So tune in for episode 149 where Mike and I drivel on for two hours. I thought I'm glad that you, you said it because I was going to say it, but I'm not saying anything. I thought the postseason was big guest free or the in-season was big guest it's free. It's a bye week, Trace. I mean, do you not know the schedule? 
I mean, you I, uh, sent me this. You sent me this lovely media guide here. It has the schedule in here, Trace. Read up. It's a bye week. We got. I got no categories to cover. I have no UCF observations. What are we gonna do? I mean, we gotta have something. Brief, there. And, I uh, I want to give a thanks. Maybe this is a hint. I want to give a thanks to Robert who sent me this nice card of Dante Culpepper. Can I? Uh, you can see it, Dante Culpepper. It looks like Mount little, Rushmore from here. Yeah, it's a it's a shiny. Uh, feel the game gold card of Dante Culpepper. Maybe well, Dante. Say, I, I'm gonna have to ask a question. I know Raphael Mike was with you at the watch party. Um, chest bumps. Can we get some some deets on that? Yeah, he wanted to do chest bumps after touchdowns. He also wanted to give me fireball shots after every touchdown. It didn't work out, so I don't think I'm allowed to even sit next to this guy next time when we go to the games. What what didn't work out? The chest bumps or the fireball shots? Either one. Well, I mean, whatever. I felt fine the next day, so. I guess the, the chest bumps needed some work. I jumped, he didn't jump, and then he jumped. And I, you know, we need to practice. <laughs> well, you have the bye week uh, here to get in a little bit of work, <laughs> Mike. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, great of you to show up for two shows following the Giants' loss on Thursday Night Football to Washington and then uh, UCF's unfortunate demise and the waning moments against Louisville. Uh, be sure to check out twonightsmedia.com for all of your Sons of UCF content. Relive all of these great moments uh, from the Sons of UCF Live and the pod. Guys, I have had fun, enjoyed talking with you. It's Navy Week coming up, and we'll get ready for that one next Thursday, 8 to 9 on the Sons of UCF Live. I'm Trace Trollco. Go Knights! Charge. On. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Sports Social Podcast Network.